I have called this message, It's What's Inside That Counts. I would like to read with you a portion of Acts 4 also, if you would turn in your Bible to that passage, Acts the fourth chapter, beginning at verse number 13. Acts 4, 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man who was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And then down to verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Now for many people, this past week has been a trying week. Numbers of people have learned the valuable lesson once again that it's what's inside that counts. The condition of the heart is what makes life what it is. For example, one family in our church had the very shocking news given this week that a member of their family had leukemia. Mike Brown is his name. He's the son-in-law of the Warren Dibbons. Mike is a young man. I just married he and Kathy not all that long ago. They have one little child and another one due any day now, within the week. Mike is a big strapping fellow, over 200 pounds. You would think he could lift up the gates of Gaza and carry them off. And he could up until now, probably. But through a routine blood test because of an injury to his hand, he found that he had leukemia, and he's lying on his back in Sutter Memorial Hospital this morning while we're here in worship, undergoing four weeks of tests and treatment and also the diagnosis of further treatment and adjustments to his life in the months ahead. That's not easy news to receive for anyone. I stood by Mike's bedside on Friday, sharing with him, talking with him, took him by the hand and prayed, and his tears mingled with my tears as we sought God for his deliverance from this malady restoration to his family, and as I looked up, I saw Mike's hand in the air, and I heard praises coming from his lips unto the Lord that he met not too many months ago right here at this altar in this very room. I walked out of that room and down the hallway, and my wife tells me I don't know how to walk quietly. I heard my heels clamping on that hard floor in that hallway, and I thought as I listened to my own footsteps, how is it that a young man like Mike 
facing the long, long ordeal of hospitalization and treatment and adjustment to his life, how could he be praising the Lord? How could he be so seemingly in charge? Because that's what I felt, that it wasn't overwhelming him, that there was reason to praise the Lord. And it came to me as I walked down the hallway. It's what's inside that counts. You can face anything when your heart is right. Out of the heart proceeds is the way the Bible puts it. Now we read these words from Mark 7 which picture the evil heart, lust, theft, Murder, adultery, envy, lewdness, slander, pride, and other folly. It's not a very beautiful list, is it? And yet it is what we see so often in the world around us. But the next verse from Proverbs 4 tells us that it is the wellspring of life, the heart. And up there in that hospital room, there is the evidence of life, even though... The prognosis was leukemia. I went from there to another hospital and stepped into ICU by the bedside of Carl Jackson, one of our gentlemen who is a member of this fellowship who had just had seven heart bypasses. Seven. He could not speak to me because of all of the paraphernalia that was in his body but I could speak to him and I knew he understood me as we prayed. I could sense his communication with mine as we clasped hands. I knew he was aware of who I was and that God was there with us. I went from the room out to the waiting room and talked with his wife, Dimples, and his brother from the Bay Area and his family. And was it morbid? No, there was joy there. There was a sense of victory there as we talked. And again I had to say, how can it be? And the answer came again, the heart, the condition of the heart. God is in control. Out of the heart proceeds from the heart is the wellspring of life. And though there are those among us who have been going, as it were, through heavy water and through the fiery furnace, there is this morning, I'm happy to say, victory in the camp because it's what's inside that counts. Hallelujah. It's when the heart is right that you can face anything. This message on the heart, tucked way back at the back of this discipleship booklet, is not necessarily a message to the unsaved, although I trust it will be as well. It's a message to the believer, and it asks us this question in this discipleship progression. Is your experience genuine? Is your experience genuine? Whether it was a week ago or yesterday or 20, 30, 50 years ago, is your experience genuine this morning? A man may have a pin on his lapel or he could have a badge 
on his clothing saying, I am a Christian, but it may not mean a thing. It's what's inside that counts. A little boy had a stomachache from eating green apples. When he was asked how he knew that the apples were green, he said, I have inside information. <laughs> we understand that. And that's exactly the picture of Acts 4. The apostles were reaching out to the world. They were living their Christian life daily, preaching the gospel everywhere they could. And here is the statement of the world about them. We took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, the experience was genuine. They were threatened with persecution. They were even beaten. They were thrown in prison. But they could not be held because of the evidence. The evidence was that of genuineness, that of Christ living his life through them, and the world knew that they had been with the Lord. It's what's inside that counts. Now, the Lord has been reaching out trying to touch some of us this week. Thank God he's reaching out to Mike and to Carl and others. Many times in life he seeks our attention. And today is one of those times as we take a look at the heart. I want to speak in three segments this morning. The main words all beginning with the letter S. Salvation, service, and strength. First of all, salvation. When you consider the heart, you have to first of all consider the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to change the human heart. God said in Isaiah, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What a miracle that is. If we were walking down the street and someone came up behind us and tapped us on the shoulder, what would we do? We would, of course, turn around to see who it was behind us. Now, when God touches us, that's what we ought to do. We are wise to turn around and look Jesus Christ in the face. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is that message. When a person turns around to his tap on the shoulder, the word is, he that is in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. That touch, that appeal comes under varying circumstances. None of us sit here in the sanctuary today under the same circumstances. Saul was riding an animal toward Damascus with papers in his possession to bring more Christians into prison. It was while on that beast of burden on his way to the city of Damascus that the Lord touched him on the shoulder so strongly that it drove him from the beast and he had to look up from the dust of the Damascus road and say, Lord, what will you have me to do? That was the condition under which Saul of Tarsus became a minister rather than a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. A murderer became a missionary. Lydia, in Acts 16, was the first convert in Europe that we have record of. Lydia was a businesswoman, and she went to a prayer meeting in Philippi. 
and she hearkened unto the Lord's tap on her shoulder through the teaching of the word of God. What a contrast to that of Saul. A murderer, in essence, a persecutor of the church, riding on a mule, perhaps, on his way to a city. Here in Philippi, a woman of great business sitting in a prayer meeting and hearing the word responding to the Lord's tap on her shoulder, opening her heart and then opening her home to the ministers that were coming through that way. Paul and Silas were in a jail the same chapter of Acts, chapter 16, when they ministered to a jailer and the hour was midnight. Do you mean you can get saved in a jail and you mean you can get saved at midnight? You can feel the touch of Jesus in conditions such as that? Absolutely. The Lord appeals to us under varying circumstances. The point is, will we respond to his tap on the shoulder? Will we turn around and look him in the face and say, I'm tired of all of these other things that were listed in Mark. I want to have a wellspring of life coming out of me. Lord Jesus, change my my heart. Each case was different, but the results were the same. Transformation, life, peace, joy, usefulness, productivity. If we will say today, I will let you in, Lord Jesus, he will come in. You will have inside information. The Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you are the Son of the living God. That is the touch of salvation that is a part of this message on the heart. Inside information. Out of the heart will proceed the very life of the Lord because he has touched you and you have responded to that touch. Pastor Allen is for two months on Monday nights ministering in the prison up by Elk Grove in the ladies' section. He was telling me about it the other day, and he said as he was talking, teaching the other Monday night, about how wicked the heart can be and what the wicked heart produces in life, one of the girls in the class, one of the inmates began to cry heavily and openly, and she then blurted out right in the middle of the teaching, that's me, that's me, that's me. What was it? It was the Lord tapping her on the shoulder, saying, yes, that's you, but this can be you. You can be changed by the power of the gospel if you will just turn and look Jesus in the face and receive the grace and the mercy that he affords. So it's happening all over. It's happening. People responding to that touch. Then there is the touch of service. Moses was feeding the flock when God called him. You see, you cannot receive salvation's touch and your heart be changed and remain neutral. You can't sit in status quo. God doesn't save you to fill a pew on a Sunday morning. God saves you to serve. God saves you to get your heart involved in building the kingdom on earth. I was talking to someone just this week and they said to me, you know, it occurred to me that I only have one shot at this thing. 
I've only got one time. I've only got one pass at this thing called life. I said, you are so right. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have that plaque hanging in our homes. We may read it every day, but does it really grip us? Do we really understand what it says? Only one life, right, absolutely. Only one shot at it, and only what's done for Christ will last. That's right. That's the only thing we take out of this life with us, that which is done for Christ. Moses heard his call to service, tending sheep. Isaiah was in the temple busy about the business of the day when God appeared to him in such a powerful manner as he saw the Lord high and lifted up. John was involved in his fishing trade. Matthew was collecting the taxes at his tax booth. God calls men from all walks of life and he's calling today as I'm preaching this message to you. The touch of service is the service that follows salvation and it comes comes from the heart because we want to do the bidding and the will of our eternal God. I want to ask you this question today. After salvation, after baptism, has there followed service? Has there followed involvement? We ought not to be running away from the divine order. And the divine order is salvation, baptism, and service. It's open testimony and then open involvement in bringing God's kingdom to earth. But you say, you don't know my circumstances. No, I don't. But that doesn't seem to matter in the divine order. Philip was in a great revival in Samaria when God touched him. Philip simply obeyed the Lord and went to the desert. He did not ask why. His heart was right with God. He had inside information. And God said, I want you to be on the desert because there's going to be a person there from Ethiopia, a eunuch, from the household of the queen, and I want you to explain to him the word of the Lord so he can take my message back to Ethiopia and the continent of Africa. And so Philip went from the revival in Samaria to the desert to minister to one man to explain to him the word of the Lord. He baptized him in water and he went on his way and probably through the eunuch, the message of the gospel went into the African continent. You see, God knows us better than we know ourselves. He doesn't care what our circumstances are. If he wants to pick us up from Samaria and put us on the desert, that's his business. Our heart has to be right. Our heart has to be open. We are just to respond by saying, Lord, take me, use me. Instead, we so often say, not me, Lord, someone else. God doesn't understand that kind of language or conversation. He only truly understands the kind that says, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Why not me? I'm available, Lord. My heart responds to the gifts of God in my life, and I offer myself for whatever you can use me for. Has God touched you? Some of you he made real, too, after salvation, the message of tithing and of giving. Are you following through? How much shall I give? Well, there's only one plan, tithes and offerings. See, it comes out of the heart. It's not hard to give when your heart's right. 
when you see the touch of service, you have said, I can't afford it. If you had been listening closely, you would have heard God say, I am rich. Do this for me and I will pour out blessings into your life. If you were listening with the heart, you would have heard God say that. Because God owns everything. There's not a thing he can't provide you with if it's his will. We are so poor in judgment if we choose our way or our plan as against his plan. I get rather amused at these people who like to argue with God. Tithing isn't in the Bible. I'll choose my own method. Well, I'd rather choose his method and his way. His judgment is better than my judgment. And as I follow his method, I find his results because it's from the heart that it emanates and it works. God can do what he said he would do. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't even contain. When I use my plan, it's only according to what I can see. I need a bigger plan. I need a better plan, and God has given that. The Billy Grahams of this world can't do it all. God demands of all of us involvement. We cannot sit idly by. The heart demands response. We ought to be separated from this world and under the service of God. That ought to be our priority. That ought to be something important to us, not being unequally yoked with this world. Anything that joins a Christian and a sinner together for a common purpose is wrong, whether it be marriage or business. We are to come out from among them and be separated and dedicated to God's service and cut off the shackles that bind us and the ropes that hold us back and from the heart serve the Lord. It's the only way that works. So, is your experience genuine? Are you serving? The third word is the word strength. I have never seen it otherwise, but that when God calls us, he provides for us the strength. Now, these verses on the back of your bulletin from the word of God show us that. David cried out of his despair and sin, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Fill me with the right thoughts and the right desires. And God did. God gave him the strength he needed to be the king that he should be, in spite of the failure that he had gone through. Now God today is wanting to tap us all on the shoulder and say to us, I have enough strength for anything that I'm asking you to accomplish in life. Dr. Robert Spear tells about his little daughter who one evening was in her bed and it was dark and she was evidently frightened. So she called from her bedroom, Father! Dr. Spear said, I kept quiet, hoping that she would go back to sleep. Presently, she sat up and spoke out loudly, Oh, Father! This time he answered, yes, darling, what do you want? To that she responded, nothing. I just wanted to know that you were there. Then she lay back down and went to sleep. 
Often we are pressed by the burdens and the sorrows and the tests of life. We are overwhelmed by his call of service. We ask ourselves, can we do it? And we cry out, Father, are you there? And in our heart, he responds with this clear call. Yes, I am there. I am with you always, even unto the end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's what's inside that counts. You can make it. You can do it. You can climb that mountain. You can forge that river. You can go down into the fiery furnace or into the lion's den. If in your heart God has spoken to you and said to you, I am there, don't be afraid. If you have Jesus inside you, you will bear the fruits of his life. There will be strength in the midst of trouble, calm in the midst of the storm, meekness in the place of bad temper. A Christian is one who has been tamed. Like a beast that has been tamed, so is the believer, the person who responds to the touch of the Lord. Are you a tamed man, a tamed woman, a tamed teenager? Have you responded to his touch of divine strength from your heart and will stop making excuses about the bad temper or the lust or whatever it is and say, I submit myself to Jesus Christ and my heart will be a place of his dwelling and out of me there will flow a river of life, not a river of death. I was reading a story of a man who went to New York City for the first time, and it was quite an eye-opener for him. He said he walked down the streets of New York in the slum areas, and he heard men cursing and women cursing and saw men fighting and children crowding into the streets and playing their games. He said there was so much noise and confusion. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. But then he said something unusual happened because on that street around the corner came a brass band. And when the brass band turned the corner onto that street, he said the children stopped their playing, the men stopped their fighting, and the women stopped their cursing. He said there was absolute calm that prevailed on that street. The whole air, he said, was cleared up by the music of the brass band. Well, my friend, that's what the world needs. And it's what happened. It is what's happened in Acts 4. It's what's happening in many homes and areas of our world today where Jesus comes to abide. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And by the time you get down to the last verse we read, they glorified God. All men glorified God for that which they had seen. What was it? The fruits of the life of Christ. In these believers, their hearts had been touched. Their service was out in front of them where men could see it. Their strength was in the Lord, and God was making Jesus real by the Holy Spirit to thousands and thousands of people. Will we clear up the atmosphere, or do we make it worse? Are we involved? Are we trusting in the strength of God as our strength as we face a world that's lost its way? It's what's inside that counts. 
If your heart is strong and you've responded to the Lord, you can make a difference. Paganini, the great musician, owned a very famous violin. When he died, they put that violin in a brass case in a museum in Genoa. One day the caretaker noticed that the violin was deteriorating, so they called some scientists to examine it, and their result was that the violin needed to be played once in a while. And so they brought a violinist every now and then to play it for at least 30 minutes, and it prevented the decay of that expensive, beautiful instrument of the great master. Christ is stirring up his church, I believe, He wants us active. He wants us involved. He doesn't want us on a museum shelf. He wants us out on the front lines, not leaving it up to George, not letting somebody else carry the ball, but we ourselves carrying the ball of responsibility from the heart serving the Lord. That's what he's looking for today. And Paul asks the people of Corinth to examine themselves, prove their own selves. And that's what the Holy Spirit is asking of us today. Look at your heart. When your heart is right, God uses you. Things happen that you don't even know about. Just like those early followers of Christ, they weren't even aware of their witness and their influence because they had one desire, just to serve him from the heart. And as they served him from the heart, all men glorified God, and they didn't even know their impact. Isn't that marvelous? I received a letter from one of the single gals in our church the other day, and it certainly blessed me and underscored the importance of this very matter that you just get up in the morning and commit yourself to the Lord and say, use me in any way that you can, Lord. Guide my thoughts, guide my actions, guide my hands, guide my feet. Let me go in the right way. Let me be a blessing to someone today. It has been my habit for years to write birthday notes and send them out to everybody we have record of. You're not getting one from me. I don't have your birthday. Put it on a piece of paper and give it to me. I love to do it because I think we need some reminders at these special times in our lives. So I had sent her a birthday blessing, and she wrote back because of what that note meant to her. I had, for some reason, included the Irish blessing that I carry in my billfold in her note, May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. The first part of her letter said, I was so amazed at that because that's one of my favorite things. I have it hanging on the front door of my apartment so that people going out have to read it. That's one of my favorite things. I used to sing it in a church I attended years ago, and I found the words and put them on the plaque. It meant so much to me to have you put that in your note. It just said to me, God cares about you. And then it's been my practice to put a Bible verse underneath my signature. Whatever I feel impressed to write, I just write it. I just try to be open and let the Holy Spirit give me a verse. And I just put the reference down, trusting that you will look it up and read it. 
She looked it up when she got the note. She ran upstairs, she said, because she had been looking for the words of a song. She had started singing solos in the Bible studies of the singles, and she had heard a song on a tape, and she couldn't find where those words were located, although she knew they were somewhere in the Bible. When she looked at that reference on my birthday note, she got her Bible. She opened the Bible and began to read the words of that song she had been searching for. God had directed me to put down the reference for her song, and it said to her again, God cares about you. Even through a birthday note, he can give you what you're searching for. And here it is. And she quoted the words in her letter back to me and how blessed she was because she had found them. You see, I wasn't aware of what I was doing. Probably that day I signed 50 notes or 50 letters or whatever. And I was just trying to be open to the Holy Spirit to let flow through me what would be a blessing to her and to all of the others. Out of the heart proceeds. Is your experience genuine? She said, when I finished reading my birthday note and finding those verses, I quote her, it has inspired me and moved me to action more than a 4th of July firecracker. It's what's inside that counts. Are you listening to God? He has been speaking to you. He always speaks. We must listen. And he's speaking today, if you listen. There's a story going around presently that illustrates the need of listening. This farmer up on the delta, standing there looking at his land when the levee breaks. The water begins to swirl around his feet. When the water level becomes knee-deep, a rowboat comes along and the Occupant of the rowboat says, you'd better get inside. The water is rising. But the farmer calmly replies, that's all right. I'm going to leave this in the hands of the Lord. I'm a Christian and he will take care of me. A few minutes later, the water was waist level and a motorboat came by with a similar injunction to which the farmer responded, you go ahead. I'm leaving this in the hands of the Lord. He will take care of me. Then the water was up to his neck and a helicopter came by and a man shouted down to him to grab onto the rope they had dropped. The farmer again made the same response and waved the helicopter on. The Lord will take care of me. Soon the water was over his head and the farmer drowned on the delta. And the next thing he knows, he's standing before St. Peter in heaven and he's got this big question in his mind. Why did it happen? So he asked St. Peter, what happened down there? I wasn't supposed to die. Peter is as, as puzzled as he is, so he gets the paperwork out, and he looks over the record, and he says, well, I don't understand it either. It says here that God sent two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> Are you listening? Are you listening? It's what's inside that counts. God has probably sent along ten helicopters to some of you, and lightning and thunder 
and all kinds of obvious signs of shaking you up. But your heart has gotten hard or cold like the Laodiceans. And God is seeking to stir us out of our lethargy into a heart relationship and a heart response to the opportunities that are around us today. It's what's inside that counts, and that's the step of discipleship we're at now. Welch revivalist Evan Roberts showed how to integrate faith with decision, and I leave you this in closing. So valuable. He said this, how to integrate faith with decision. You must put away any unconfessed sin. Step one, deal with the sin. Put away any unconfessed sin. Get rid of it. Start with sin. Then secondly, you must put away any doubtful habit. The writer to the Hebrews pictures them as chains that hold us, bondage that slows us down or prevents us totally from doing the will of God. Doubtful habits, do away with them. Be clean in life before God. Thirdly, he said, you must obey the Spirit promptly. When he speaks, respond. Next week may not be the same as today. I have seen it time and time again. King Agrippa said, not today, Paul. Another season, then I will listen. But it never came. You must obey the Spirit promptly. When he speaks, that's when you need to say, yes, Lord, from the heart, I respond. Don't put it off. And lastly, you must confess Christ publicly. It can't be a secret thing. There's no such thing as a secret service in the Lord's work. It has to be public. Get to this altar. Get into the baptismal waters. Put your name on the dotted line. Say, I'm going to go all the way. I have taken the step of salvation from my heart. I move into the step of service, and I recognize that his strength is sufficient for every challenge that will come my way. From my heart, I serve the Lord, and there's no mountain and no valley that I cannot get through because I have given my heart to the Lord. No temptation greater than your heart. Nothing greater than your heart. It's what's inside that counts. It's out of the heart that everything else proceeds. Let's deal with our heart as we bow our heads in prayer all over the sanctuary. Nobody moving now as we concentrate on the response to the message. Heavenly Father, your spirit is here to speak and has been speaking. There are men and women up in that balcony and all across this main floor who are feeling the tug of your spirit, that tap on the shoulder. Like the old song asks, how about your heart? Is it right with God? We cannot serve you effectively if our hearts are wrong. We cannot receive your strength if our hearts are wrong. Oh, Jesus, we turn around and look you in the face today and believe that 
there is strength and power for every situation we face. Move upon our hearts and help us to respond and listen to what you're saying. Not to miss you today. While our heads are bowed in prayer and no one is looking around, I want to ask how many of you would like prayer, believing what the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. I want to pray for you. You need Christ today. You need to respond to that touch of salvation. Jesus has been talking to you through circumstances, through this message. You know you need to forsake your sin and turn your life over to Christ. Will you raise your hand right now and admit that? God bless you, sir, back there, and ma'am, back there under the balcony, and back here on this aisle, and right down here in front of me in this section. Hold your hands up until I've seen them. I've seen these all through this area. Thank you. How many others over to my left? Thank you over there, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you right down here, ma'am, on my left-hand side. Up in the balcony on the left, thank you. The balcony on the right, thank you up there. All over the building, hands are going up back in this section underneath the balcony. God bless you there. You felt his touch over to my right. God bless you back there, ma'am, on my right. Praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit and his faithfulness. How many of you would respond? Yes, back here another. Thank you. How many of you would respond to the second segment, the touch of service? It's from the heart we serve. And you would have to say, Pastor, my heart hasn't been in it. I've got to get into it. I want to get out of my chair and start doing something to bring the kingdom of God to the hearts of men. Maybe it's joining the SWAT team. Maybe it's being a teacher. Maybe it's being a secretary in a class or ushering or greeting or being in the music of the church, serving in the Billy Graham crusade. I'm going to get up and do something. Maybe it's the rest home ministry. I don't know. All I know is God wants everybody to be involved in something. Would you like to raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you today. Yes, 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 all over. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. There will be an open door. Listen to God. How about the third thing? You felt weak. You felt like you couldn't do it. God will never leave you alone. Never. How many of you are going to seek his strength for what he's asked? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes, yes, yes. Many hands all over the building. God bless you. I believe for his visitation. Stand with me reverently, please. No one filling the aisles yet. No one leaving. Stand reverently. Hold your place for prayer. Our service will be over in just a few moments. Let us respect the privileges of each person in worship today. I want you to join the hands of those in your row. You don't need to cross the aisles, just in the row. I want you to feel the impact of hundreds and hundreds of people praying for you right now, all over this building. Let us all pray. Lord, there are people here, many of them here, who are receiving the touch of salvation. May they know their sins are forgiven. May they feel the sin and the guilt just pass right out of their bodies, right out of their minds. May they feel the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. There are people now receiving the strength of service. They're going to get up and do something for God, not leaving it up to George but themselves being involved, empower them.